0: I'm Linda Fintalberg for BizNews. News. South Africa's Finance Minister, Enoch Godendorne, will table his medium-term budget policy statement, which updates economic forecasts, adjusts the budget and make emergency changes to spending. So what can we expect? We have standing Chief Economist Kevin Lings in the studio to discuss the midterm budget. Kevin, um, welcome to BizNews. News.
1: Thanks a lot. Thanks for the invite
0: well, we of course, in that afterglow of the World Cup, all that was all good news, but it looks like the budget will not be good news.
1: No, I don't think it's going to be good news. Obviously, there's been a significant deterioration uh, in the fiscal parameters for South Africa. Um, we could see it unfolding over the last, let's say, the last year. And pretty much when the minister presented his budget back in February, there were already concerns that he was simply too too ambitious. It doesn't mean that you don't want the government to try and achieve something, to try and improve. Uh, you certainly want that, but it was clearly uh, just too ambitious, particularly with regards to tax revenue. And obviously, we'd gone through two previous years where company taxes had way exceeded budget, and uh, government, I think, did two things that were not were not sensible with that. Firstly, they spent a lot of that money and created ongoing expenditure on the back of it. Uh, that wasn't good because you could never bet on that, expect that tax revenue remaining in place. So you committed to future expenditure, but you didn't know that you were going to get the tax revenue. And the second problem is that, um, obviously, you could have used a lot of that income to reduce your debt. Uh, you didn't really do that. You did some of it, but you could have done a lot more. And so now you find yourself in a situation where company tax is disappointing. If you look at commodity prices, they've come off. And so because of that, plus transnets difficulties in in exporting and getting uh, commodities through the ports, your mining companies aren't generating the types of profits they did previously. And so now tax revenue is significantly behind. And there are other areas where we've seen slippage on, on the tax side. So you end up probably, we we saying about 60 billion rand as a revenue shortfall. Now, within the South African context, you could say that's not absolutely disastrous, but it does put you under pressure. And so the parameters that you set out in the February budget, you you can't achieve. And then on top of that, Uh, expenditure is running ahead of budget because you granted a salary increase that uh, was in excess of what you budgeted for. At the time, you said that you would rein in expenditure in other areas if you ended up paying more on salaries. So far, government hasn't done that. And so you've you've got more expenditure relating to salaries. You've got more expenditure relating to the cost of debt because obviously... um, Bond yields have gone up internationally. Uh, The markets are under a bit of pressure, and so it's costing you more money for the debt that you've got. And so you're probably ending up overspending by about 25 billion. So if you take the 60 billion that you haven't received as tax revenue, you take the 25 billion that you overspent, you're ending up with a deficit that is in the order of 80 85 billion rand. And and you, don't, you can't really do much about that. So that simply means that you've got a bigger deficit. It means that you've got a bigger debt level. And importantly, most importantly, it means that your fiscal parameters are now deteriorating. Your budget deficit goes up by a percent to a percent and a half. Your debt level goes up. And the promises that you made back in February where you said, we're going to put South Africa's fiscal position in better shape. We're going to follow fiscal consolidation. Now you have to show that you've got a further deterioration, and 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 now you've got to go back to the promise, right? Now you're going to say, okay, guys, it's deteriorated, but from here going forward, we're going to do better. The difficulty with that is that Sine is believing, right? We've heard that statement many times before. We've seen government present ambitious targets, not achieve those targets, then own up to not achieving the targets, but promise that going forward, things will be better. And unfortunately, going into an election year, I'm I'm not convinced they're going to be able to implement significant changes that will appease um, the investor community that will suggest that they are on track. And so I think you're going to end up with promises that you can't necessarily fulfill. And then as if that wasn't all enough, on top of all of this, Transnet needs a huge amount of money. The post office needs money. Other SOEs need money. And and we don't know where that money's coming from. I can understand that you've got to restructure Transnet. You, you, you need Transnet to function better the same way you needed Eskom to function better. Charleston's got way too much debt, so you've got to restructure. But in order to restructure, you need to take away a good portion of their debt. And then on top of that, they need um, a financial injection. They need liquidity. And I'm not convinced that the minister has the appetite for that right now. I think he's going to be forced to do it. I think he'll announce that, yes, in time, we're going to restructure, but hold off on the actual details a while longer, and um because he doesn't want to see that on top of the other deterioration in the fiscal parameters
0: so do don't you think there's going to be any cut in cuts in expenditure because of the election that's coming
1: so on the expenditure side it's it's very difficult because the cuts that you could have made you've already made let me explain so. Normally, when governments are under pressure like this, the areas that they first turn to cut is is infrastructure spending. What they tend to do is they put projects on hold. They say, okay, let's delay this project. Let's not start this expenditure. Let's Let's wait a year or two, and that way you can definitely save money. Government's already done that. Our infrastructure spending has dwindled over the years. It's very low. It's not sensible to just cut that to nothing. You're going to end up with a bigger problem. So there's a limited amount that you can do there, and it's also not advisable. So our two big expenditure items, salaries. You've just given a bigger than expected salary increase. I don't know how you can cut salaries in an election year or cut staff. It's not going to happen. The best you could do is allow for natural attrition. So about 5% of the government workforce um, essentially moves on every year, either retires or resigns. And what you can try and do is not simply hire people to replace that. Now, that's been government stance up until now. That's been their approach. But if I look at the data, it hasn't made a huge difference. You could maybe tighten that up a bit. And maybe if people leave, not automatically replace them or be really clear that if you replace somebody, it must be a very important position. The second element is social payments it's It's got bigger and bigger we've ha- we've got the social relief of distress grant, the three hundred and fifty rand. Could you cut that? Yeah, you could cut that, but are you really going to cut that in an election year? You've just had the president on television tell everybody just how important that three hundred and fifty rand is. There's no chance of you cutting that. The backlash would be enormous in an election year. What you could do is is not increase it, right? There's pressure on government to increase that 350 rand adjusted by inflation, so you hold off on doing that. But I don't see that you're gonna you're gonna cut that, and and so you end up with bits and pieces you could cut: travel expenses, conference expenses, those types of expenditure you can try and claw back a bit. But I would have to argue government says they've been trying to do that already and we've got 25 billion rand extra expenditure. I don't know that there's a lot that that they can do. I think the minister will announce that the intention is to be disciplined. The intention is to control all of these parameters. He's going to set out numbers that look, okay, from here things are going to get better. He does worry about the credit rating agencies and, and that they may downgrade us. But can he do anything meaningful, anything significant? No.
0: How far have we gone off the tracks? You you mentioned some numbers.
1: So look, it's not a disaster. We've had worse time periods. Um, So if you look at the fiscal deficit, he was projecting, let's round off the numbers, more or less um, minus 4% of GDP. So that tells you government would overspend to the extent of 4% of GDP. We're looking at him having to say, okay, we've overspent by 5% of GDP, maybe 5.5%. So it's a percent to a percent and a half of GDP. Can we manage it? Is it, is it um, something we can cope with? Yes, of course. When we look at the debt level, uh, it's over 70% of GDP. We were indicating that over time, debt would come down. Now he's got to show debt is going up. and Obviously, if you finance uh, Transnet, your debt will go up by another couple of percent of GDP. And so instead of showing that debt's going to move lower, get below 70%, you're now going to have to indicate that debt is going to remain above 70%. So, so your key parameters are going to look worse. Here's why this is important, is that your parameters are already out of line. They already are problematic. They have already gotten you credit rating downgrades. What you've been saying since Tito was Minister of Finance is, okay, so fiscal position has deteriorated, but we're going to get this under control. That's the message from government since back when Tito was Minister of Finance. And you've been trying to implement that. You got the benefit where tax revenue was ahead of budget when the mining companies were generating lots of revenue. So that gave you a windfall but it was an outside windfall. It wasn't anything of your own making. It was got to do with international commodity prices. So when you remove that benefit, have you made genuine progress? And the answer is no. What has happened is that you've actually deteriorated. And so when investors analyze the budget, when credit rating agencies analyze the budget, they'll realize that with, if it weren't for that windfall from mining companies, our fiscal position would have been substantially worse. And therefore, they'll question, is there enough political will? Is there enough commitment to get the fiscal position into good shape? And there's a big question mark around that. And so that's why it matters. It's not the percentages that are disastrous. It's the direction you're going in and the lack of improvement. So you end up with this as a conclusion, and it's an overriding conclusion. There is no substitute for better economic growth. If I look at the problems facing government, the only real way they're going to solve that problem is they've got to increase economic growth, employment, and once you get those two parameters right, your economy is growing faster, you're creating more jobs, your tax revenue will naturally rise. And then you can deal with a lot of these challenges more effectively without the fiscal deterioration. So, so what government is trying to do is they're trying to cope with all of this. Think about what they're trying to do. Social grants, lots of people employed, Transnet, Eskom. you try to achieve all of this with less than 1% GDP growth. It's an impossible task. You can't do it. There isn't enough of a tax base. There isn't enough tax revenue to make it work. So fundamentally, you've got to get the growth rate going. I don't think realistically government is going to suddenly wake up and say, "You know what? We need given the economy, we need a way smaller government." That would be that would be what you really ultimately need to get to if you're going to keep growing this economy at 1%. If you grow at 1%, you can't justify the government that you've got, it's too big. The tax base can't support it. The state-owned enterprises, the tax base can't support that. So you either grow this economy faster, a lot faster, 3%, 4%, generate more tax revenue, then the existing government can function effectively. Or you say, I'm going to grow this economy at 1%, I can't do any better, but then I need a substantially smaller public sector because... The tax base won't support the current size of the public sector. Those are the hard choices government faces. I don't know that they realize it in those stark terms, but essentially that's what we're facing.
0: Well, is South Africa approaching a fiscal cliff?
1: So we're heading in that direction, right? So some people talk about us having a fiscal crisis. No, we're not, we're not at a point of a fiscal crisis. We're not at the point of default, nothing like that we're not at the point of requiring substantial IMF support. If you look at countries that have got themselves into that position, historically, a Venezuela and Argentina over time, things have got a lot worse than where we are now in order to say, okay, you need significant assistance. We're not in that position. Uh, and partly why we're not in that position is that our foreign debt is very still very low. It's, it's uh, the key sort of Factor that helps us when countries get into trouble, what really catches them out is they've got a lot of foreign debt. And then when you get into trouble, your currency weakens and your foreign debt becomes so much more expensive, and you just can't afford it. So, we are not that vulnerable. And the path we're on is not immediately an outright fiscal crisis or a fiscal collapse or any other, no, but. That's the direction we're heading into. And remember that we firmly went in that direction at, when state capture was in full swing. So so we tried to rein that back. We made a bit of progress because the mining companies generated huge tax revenue. So we made a bit of progress. But now we're moving back in that dangerous direction. And so the flags are going up. The warnings are going up. And, and the message is very clear that if you carry on like this, if you don't manage the SOEs, if you don't bail out and get them restructured, if you don't grow the economy, then you're heading in a very ugly direction that will result in a fiscal crisis. And so, so and, and you don't want to wait. You don't want, South Africa's now got a little bit of a history of waiting for the crisis to happen. And when the crisis is upon you, then you run around solving it, right? Think about the electricity. People warned and warned, and then we waited. Transnet. People warned and warned, and now we look and say, oh, we can't transport commodities, now there's a crisis. Water, sanitation, all of these things, we're tending to wait until we get to that point of crisis, that point of collapse, and then everybody's attention's focused on it. You don't want to do that with your fiscal parameters because it's very difficult to rein that in. You may find it's not salvageable. And under those situations, you need a substantial restructuring of your economy and your fiscal position. And you would probably need outside assistance, as in an IMF support program.
0: Well, with all the restraints he has, his hands are tied because of the election. How are the markets going to react? This doesn't sound like a good picture.
1: So the markets have been, have been concerned. And if you look at how bond yields have behaved, they've been worried about this now for a while. And obviously, that worry has unfolded as the year has unfolded, because... Initially, the numbers looked okay. The tax revenue was good because of the mining companies. But as the data came in, the markets had to adjust to a different reality. At the same time, obviously, inflation was relatively high. Interest rates were high. Economic growth was disappointing. And so the markets had a lot to worry about. In addition, internationally, markets have been under pressure because of the the increase in global interest rates. Markets have been under significant pressure. And so, we've seen that play out in our bond market. Now, the question I think is, is this, is this bad news already priced into the bond market? And you would say probably most of it. This is not a mystery. This is not a shock. Uh, we know about this deterioration. Government publishes these data points every month. The market can systematically adjust to that. Um, the market is aware of Transnet and that is going to need finance. It's aware of the tax revenue shortfall. It's aware that government is overspending, so um, the market is aware that this fiscal, these fiscal parameters have deteriorated. It's aware that uh, obviously the the tax revenue is behind budget. It's aware that expenditures running ahead of budget. It's aware that Transnet no Transnet needs additional funds. So. So you can argue that a lot of this is in the price. I think that's fair. But obviously, the market going forward needs to see that these fiscal parameters are going to be brought under control. And I'm not sure that government's in a position to do that during the election year. And so we're going to find that, I think, our bond market remains a bit uh, nervous. Obviously, getting interest rates lower next year, getting inflation down next year, that will all help. So it doesn't mean that you don't want to look at bonds as an investment opportunity, Um, but I don't think you'll look at it because of government finances. You'll look at it more because interest rates internationally and locally are going to probably get lower next year. Inflation probably stays reasonably under control. That might be a decent opportunity to buy buy government bonds, assuming that the bad news is mostly in the price.
0: Well, I saw earlier this week the RAND rallied a bit. So what was that about?
1: So if we look at um, international trends, there is a little bit of a a risk on sentiment. In other words, uh, there's an expectation that the U.S. is not going to raise interest rates any further. They've got a meeting uh, tomorrow. We expect interest rates to remain unchanged. It's very clear the ECB probably will keep interest rates on hold from here. Um, and I think the Bank of England will do something similar. So you're getting messages that you're at the top of the global interest rate cycle, and that going forward, yes, interest rates will remain high, but systematically rates will be cut. we also seen some emerging markets start to cut interest rates, and so it's starting to create a little bit of a, a risk on sentiment where people are looking for opportunities and venturing out. Now, I don't think that that is significant or substantial at this stage, but it does, uh, at the margin, allow for some uh, strength of the RAND. Obviously, if South Africa could get a lot of parameters right next year, let's say we get rid of load shedding, let's say we get the growth rate finally a little bit better, then I think a lot of foreign money will come into South Africa because of exactly that. We represent a viable investment opportunity We would represent value, and I think under those circumstances, the RAND could rally. So it's possible. Uh, It's something we need to pay careful attention to. I wouldn't buy necessarily into the short-term rally now. I think there's a lot of noise in markets. But it's an interesting uh, dynamic if South Africa can somehow get all of these parameters to look better during the course of next year.
0: Kevin Lings, Chief Economist of Stanlub, thank you so much.
1: Thanks, thanks a lot.